Uh, my name is Annie Purdue Olson. I was pastor on staff here for a little over 10 years. And in April, I joined the Bailey Consulting Group um, as a coach and a consultant working with a lot of different kinds of organizations. And primarily what I do is I work with leaders to help them be effective in their role as leaders, as effective as they can be, and partner with them to lead change in their teams and their organizations. And it's a real challenge, but it's one of those kinds of challenges that stretch you and help you to grow. And I love what I'm doing. I really enjoy what I see God doing in me and through me in this process. But it is really good to be home. <laughs> this is home. And I love being here. Uh, I love being a part of this community and a part of this family. Um, and I'm really excited to have the opportunity to share with you again today. So today, I'm going to be sharing a message actually out of Matthew. We're going to take a little bit of a break from Luke. If you know anything about how we do sermons around here, we've been in the book of Luke for how many years? <laughs> it's been a really long, long time. And what we do is we just go through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and ask the question, what is God speaking to us as a community? And we are, I think, up to chapter 13 now. And we've got a lot more chapters to go, so we'll be in Luke for several more years. Um, so every once in a while, it's a good idea to take a break. And remember that there are other books in the Bible <laughs> besides Luke. So we're going to talk a little bit out of Matthew today. I've actually titled the message, The Porcupine Dance. The Porcupine Dance. That picture looks a little bit more like the porcupine disco, but... We can go with that. Um, and so it's not going to become really obvious when we start reading the text how I got to the porcupine dance for the title of this message, but bear with me. I'll get you there, all right? <laughs> so if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35 is going to be our focus. And before we get into reading the text, I am going to ask you to join me in prayer. And I would, as we're praying for this message, um, I'm going to also pray for the other things that are going on in this building today. Our children's ministry, you know from Norm, is having challenges with not having enough volunteers. And we've got our emerging generation ministry going down the other hall. And there's lots of things that are going on in terms of ministry here today. And so I just want to lift, before we get started, all of those things up to the Lord and just dedicate those to him. So join with me. Jesus. We thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful worship experience that we've had here today that just really brought us into your presence. We are in your sanctuary. And Lord Jesus, I just want to pray for the children's ministry and what's going on there right now. I ask that you will just be with every leader that's there right now. Lord, that you will anoint them to do the work that you have for them today. Lord Jesus, that you will give them energy in order to be able to serve in the way that they're serving. And Lord, I pray for our ministry with the emerging generation and the youth that are down there right now. I ask, Lord, that you will minister to their heart. Give the leaders wisdom and courage and strength to be able to minister in the way that you have called them to minister. Lord, for all of the technical challenges and those folks who are working through the technical stuff that's going on today, I ask that you will give them energy, strength, give them problem-solving skills to work through whatever challenges are facing us today. And Lord, most of all, I pray that you will just be with us and speak to us as you have in the worship through this message, Lord Jesus. Help us to understand what it is that you have for us today. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 18 actually starts with uh, the question uh, by the disciples. 
of who is the greatest in the kingdom. And so the entire chapter 18 is all about Jesus' response to this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And his response is a little unexpected, I think. His response is to talk all about the relational qualities that characterize kingdom people. So he responds by talking about these relationship characteristics. And as he's describing this through a series of illustrations and parables, Peter jumps in with a follow-up question in verse 21. I love Peter's questions. They give us so much meat in the Gospels. (laughs) Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven? There are a couple important things to note behind Peter's question here. You see, it was commonly taught in that day by the teachers of the law that to forgive someone three times was expected, but on the fourth time, you could do whatever you wanted. And this was based on some scriptures that were recorded in Amos. The prophet Amos recorded several times, he, for three sins, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. And so he records the Lord saying that at series, a series of times in the book of Amos. And so out of that, the teachers of the law assumed, wrongly so, that you had to forgive up to three, but on the fourth time you could do whatever you want. So as Jesus is talking about kingdom relationships, Peter pipes up and he says, well, how many times should we forgive? Knowing that the standard of the day was three, he's willing to go all the way to number seven. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure that he was in some ways trying to say, Jesus, I'm getting it. You're talking about all these relationship qualities and I get it. We shouldn't just do three. We should go all the way to seven. I'm getting it. Um, And he thought maybe Jesus would be impressed with his graciousness and his mercy. But let's look a little bit at Jesus' response to Peter's question. Verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now Jesus' reply here is actually to blow the formula that Peter is using right out of the water with a very ridiculous number. In fact, in some translations, they translate this text as 70 times seven. So instead of forgiving 77 times, Jesus is saying you should forgive 70 times seven times. But it really doesn't matter because the point isn't the number. The point that Jesus is making here is that it's not about the number. Don't limit forgiveness to a number of times. And so in order to illustrate this and make this point even more clear, Jesus tells this story. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, 10,000 bags of gold was really, really an incredible amount of money in that day. I think actually 10,000 bags of gold would be a really incredible amount of money in our day, wouldn't it? Well, in that day, one bag of gold was equal to about 20 years of labor. So one bag, 20 years of labor. Now, this guy owed the king 20... 10,000 bags, 10,000 bags times 20 years of labor is 200,000 years of labor. 200,000 years of labor, this guy owed the master. There is no possible way this guy would live to 200,000. 
He was never, ever going to be able to pay this debt back. It was impossible. Jesus purposely picked that number. He purposely wanted to demonstrate that the debt of this servant was so great that he could never, ever pay it off. Because Jesus is trying to make the point here that we too are like this servant. We have a debt that is so great that we can never, ever pay it off. In verse 25, since the servant was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, the king had the right to demand payment. This servant had, in fact, incurred the debt. But the servant desperately pleads, making a promise that he cannot actually even keep. Maybe that servant really didn't understand the magnitude of the debt that he owed that master if he really thought that he could pay it off with more time. But he, in his desperation, pleads for mercy. And the king, the king shows him great mercy. The king doesn't just give him more time to pay the debt. The king does something that the servant doesn't even ask for. The king actually absorbs the loss and forgives the debt. Let's see how the servant responded. Verse 28. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now we need to take just a, a moment to look at the numbers again here. This servant, this fellow servant, owed the first servant a hundred silver coins. A hundred silver coins compared to 10,000 bags of gold. It doesn't really take an accountant to notice that there might be a major difference between 10,000 bags of gold and a hundred silver coins. In fact, a hundred silver coins was about three months' wages compared to, remember, 200,000 years. <laughs> three months, 200,000 years. Jesus, again, is making a very, very important point here about how minimal this servant's debt is to the first servant. In verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive a brother or sister from your heart. In this parable, Jesus is really demonstrating two very important points about forgiveness. One is our debt. We are like that first servant, and we have a debt that is too great for us to pay, and we have been forgiven that debt. And in the same way that we have been forgiven, we are called upon to forgive others from our heart. 
It's not about a formula. It's not about a number. It's about our heart. And I want to talk a little bit about these two debts because I think it's really important for us, first of all, to understand the infinite debt that we have been forgiven. Because you see, all of us at times have chosen to follow our way. We've chosen to reject God's way. We've chosen to believe the lie of Satan that God is not sufficient to meet our needs. And when we believe that lie, we reject God and we start trying to find fulfillment in our life through a lot of other things. Sometimes we find that in relationships. Maybe we pursue a career in order to feel better about ourselves. Maybe we get absorbed or wrapped up into the material things of this world. In fact, sometimes we even try to find that fulfillment in following a bunch of legalistic rules that make us feel better about ourselves. All of us have chosen to reject God and find some sort of fulfillment in other things. And when we pursue these other things, they have a very high price. And the price that they have incurs a debt so great that we can never repay it. And that debt separates us from God. It has broken our relationship with God. God can't just ignore the debt, somebody has to pay that debt. So God, in his great mercy, created a way to pay that debt on our behalf. He sent his son Jesus, and Jesus willingly sacrificed his own life to pay the debt that should have cost us our life. And if we choose to receive this gift of forgiveness, and our debt is paid, then our once broken relationship with God is restored and reconciled because of the great love that Jesus has for us. And we can once again experience the beautiful, exciting, and wonderful relationship with God that he intended for us. We are like the first servant, and we have been forgiven an, an amazing debt. I really don't think that first servant got the magnitude of the debt that he owed and I don't think he really understood the power of the forgiveness that the king offered him. And as we were singing the worship songs this morning, the song that jumped out to me the most in what we were singing was, I really love you. I love you, Jesus. And the reason that I love you is because you first loved me. We have to understand his love. We get into this place where it's like, how could you love me after all the things that I've done? Well, you showed me your love by sending your only son. That's the power of the love of Jesus. And so when we sing these worship songs this morning, how can we not fall in love with Jesus? How can we not sing love songs to him after all of the wonderful things that he's done for us? But we need to understand it. And sometimes in this world with all the things that are happening to us, our vision gets clouded and we can't see the love and the forgiveness that Jesus has for us. And when we get caught in that place, it is very easy for us to behave just like the first servant. Because when we're trying to live in community with each other, it gets kind of messy. Have you ever noticed how many hurts happen in the context of a church community? How many times maybe you've even been hurt? in trying to engage in community in the church, it is tough. When we start living in relationships with one another and when we start trying to fulfill the mission that God has called us to together, it gets painful 
because we hurt each other. Misunderstandings happen. Miscommunication happens. People do things from their own place of hurt or pain, and it causes hurt or pain in the context of our community. I was talking to my brother about this this week, and he came up with this analogy. He said, you know, it's kind of like porcupines on a cold winter's night. Did you know that porcupines have really, really painful spines? If you get poked by them, it hurts really bad. Well, what I didn't know about porcupines is that when they are cold, they huddle together to try and get warm. But as they come together, what happens is they start poking each other with those painful spines, and they start backing away from each other because it hurts. And then when they get cold again, what do they do? They come back together again, and then they poke each other with spines, and then they go back again. So they engage in this movement. They engage in the porcupine dance of coming together and moving apart in warmth and then in isolation and cold, and in warmth and in isolation and cold. And I think that that too is like us. When we are moving from isolation into community, there are going to be times when we're going to get poked with the porcupine spine. And we will start doing the porcupine dance. And that is oftentimes what community is like, is that we will get hurt, we, there will be pain, we will get poked with the spine. If we want to move out of isolation, if we want to get warm, and we come together, there are going to be times when we get hurt. And there will be, when we get hurt, we will want to push away, we will want to pull away, we want to move out of that warmth. But if we stay in that place of isolation, we cannot experience the community that God intended for us. So, what does, how do we handle the pokes of the porcupine spines? Because what happens is when we get poked by those spines, we feel that hurt and we believe that we have the right to hold grudges. You know what? We have been wronged. We have been poked with the spine and it hurts and it's painful. And so, in a sense, we want God's justice to fall on that other person. Even when we hurt others, we want mercy for ourselves. And so, out of our hurt, we want to see that person get paid, pay back the debt that they owe us. You know what? We are like that first servant in Jesus' story. And we want them to pay back. We want to see payback. We want to see justice. And we oftentimes have a very specific idea of what that justice might look like in our situation. And oftentimes when we don't see God giving out, meeting out the justice in the way that we see it, we become judge. And we move to judgment and we want to hold them accountable for the debt that they owe us. You know, this really came very clear to me as I was preparing the message because it even is something that I deal with on a regular basis. And I was thinking about, about a month ago, I was talking with a friend about a situation in my own life where I had been hurt by someone. And I was talking with them and saying, I'm really trying hard to get to a place of forgiveness, but I just don't know how. I don't know what I need to do, and I really want to be able to forgive them, but this anger... And, I, and this need for payback keeps coming back to me. I don't know how to deal with this, this hurt. And my friend challenged me by asking me this question, and it was a very gentle challenge, but my friend said, well, have you ever told that person that you feel hurt? Have you ever expressed your hurt to them? 
And I realized that I never had. I'd never told this person that they had hurt me. The reason why I had never told them was what was astoundingly powerful to me. The reason that I had never told them that they hurt me is because it was my expectation that they would already know, that they should have gotten it. Duh, didn't you see how I reacted in the situation? Don't you see me pulling away from the relationship? I mean, really, anybody who knows anything would know that if you did that, it would hurt someone. So I had put myself in judgment over them. And I didn't want to tell them because I figured they should get it. My expectation was that they would know. And I wanted them to feel sorry. I wanted them to know that they had hurt me and I wanted them to feel bad. When I realized that that was my motivation and that that was going on inside of me, it was like a mirror being put in front of me. And when I looked in, I didn't like what I saw. Because you know what I saw? I saw a little girl. I saw a little girl stomping her feet and saying, that's not fair. You're mean. <laughs> and you know, the thing of it is, is when there's a grudge there, when there's a hurt there that we're having a hard time getting over, a lot of times there's those childish thoughts and feelings that are going on inside of us. And we don't want to face them. We don't want to admit that we're behaving childishly. And when I had to face the reality that my reaction in that situation was a very childish response, I had to come face to face with the child in me. But that awareness creates the possibility for me to change my behavior. I can act differently. I can do something differently in that situation. I can choose not to see that other person through the glasses of my hurt and my pain. Because you see, when we wear that lens, when that's what we're looking through, we want to see God's justice meted out upon them, but it is about the lens of hurt and pain that we're looking at the situation. And God is just. But God's lens, the glasses that God looks through in that situation are glasses of love. They are lenses of love. His perspective is not clouded by our hurt and our pain. And so the kind of justice that he is going to bring about is going to look very different than the kind of justice that we see in our hurt and in our pain. And we have to trust that God is just. But in that situation, we also have to see the situation through his eyes of love. And when we do that, when we understand the love that he has, not only for us, but for them, then we can move into forgiveness. Then we can embrace healing. You know, in some situations, I realize that you can't always go and talk to that person and tell them that they're hurt. And I realize that when we do that, we cannot go with the attitude of, I want you to feel sorry. You know what, if I wouldn't have had that realization, and let's say I would have gone to my friend and said, you know what, you really hurt me. The attitude of where I was at at that time in my life would have been to tell them that I was hurt so that they would feel as bad as I do, so that they would feel sorry for what they had done. And that's not the right attitude to go and talk with someone. The attitude that we need to go and talk with someone about the hurt is the attitude of love, the love that Christ has for us. And knowing that, we can offer that love to them and in hopes that we can experience healing ourselves in hopes that maybe as we have a conversation with them that's founded in love, they can experience healing from maybe the hurt or the pain that's causing them to behave the way that they behaved. 
And maybe there can be growth in that relationship. But that's not the case for all relationships. It's not that we will always be able to go and talk and the relationship will be healed and grow. In that situation, forgiveness is still what Jesus is calling us to do. But forgiveness does not always have a happy ending. Forgiveness isn't always like the fairy tale where the relationship's always all restored and everything looks good and everything's the same. Sometimes the porcupine dance has to change. The dance steps might start looking a little bit different. And as we talk about forgiveness, I think it's important to remember what forgiveness is not. Even though we are called to forgive, we may have to change the dance step. Because forgiveness does not mean forgetting. You know what, if you have a debt, a loan on a car, and you pay that loan off, you get a little card in the mail that says that the loan has been paid in full. But if I were to pull your credit report, I would still see a record of that debt there. It didn't completely go away, it just shows that it's been paid off. In the same way, when we choose to pay off the debt of someone who has wronged us or has hurt us, we don't have to forget that the debt ever existed, but we need to forgive them. It's not about forgetting. Also, forgiveness does not minimize the reality of sin. Sin is still sin. So when you forgive someone, it's not saying, oh, what you did isn't wrong, it's okay, everything's okay. It might still be wrong. However, you are choosing no longer to hold them accountable for the debt that they have incurred. Forgiveness also does not mean putting ourselves once again in vulnerable situations. Forgiveness is not about enabling destructive behavior. If there is destructive behavior that has hurt you seriously, if you're in a situation where abuse is happening, forgiveness is not about putting yourself into that abusive situation and enabling that abuse to continue. It is not about putting ourselves in vulnerable situations. It also means sometimes forgiveness means that you have to redefine trust. It doesn't automatically mean that you trust that person for the same things that you've always trusted them for. In situations where they continue to hurt you in the same way over and over and over again, you need to learn how to redefine the dance steps of that relationship. Because you might do things just a little bit differently, you have to learn what you can trust them for and what you can't trust them for in that relationship. Forgiveness also doesn't mean that you don't get angry when you're treated unjustly. When you're treated unjustly, there is an anger that happens that does not lead us to sin. There is an anger uh, that's frustration over, oh my gosh, how could these injustices happen? And that's okay. Forgiveness does not mean we can't get angry. But forgiveness is about how we respond to the debt that is incurred against us when someone hurts us. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 32 starts by saying, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When we forgive we are promising that other person three things. We are promising that we will not give, bring up their offense in a spiteful, hurtful, vindictive way. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't talk about it because in the context of relationships, sometimes you need to talk about the offense to help the relationship grow. But you won't bring it up in a way to, with the purpose of making them feel bad, 
trying to get payback for the hurt that you feel. You are going to give up your right to do that. You know what? You are promising to them that you won't gossip about them, that you won't talk down about them to others. When you forgive, you are promising that you won't dwell on that situation over and over and over again in your own mind. You are promising that you will let it go. When we choose to make this promise, when we choose to make this forgiveness promise, we are choosing to pay their debt. And it is going to cost us something. Somebody has to pay the debt. And it will cost us. You know what we have to give up? We have to give up the right to hold it against them. And you know what? It's a daily effort to keep that promise. That's not something that you just choose in a moment in time and say, okay, now I'm done. I no longer hold it against you. Because something else is going to happen. And it triggers it all over again. It is a daily process to choose every moment of every day not to hold that against them anymore. You know what? We're going to have to choose to trust God in his justice and not try and take control and bring judgment upon that other person for what they have done. That is not easy. It is really hard. It will cost you energy. It will cost you time. It will cost you effort on your own part to choose on a daily basis to trust God instead of taking control yourself. And you will have to choose to demonstrate love even when they don't deserve it. And that costs you. It creates an effort. Sometimes it costs us a sacrifice to choose love and demonstrate love even when that person doesn't deserve it. We need to choose to see them as God sees them. Instead of seeing them through the lens of hurt or pain, we have to see them through the lens of love, Jesus' love and how he loves them. The only way that we can do that is because we have first been loved by God. And Jesus has demonstrated his love towards us in a beautiful love story where he gave himself for us. And that is the reason that we can look at other people in our life who have hurt us differently. And when we can do that, when we can do that, the benefits are amazing. And I think so many times we get caught in our unforgiveness that we don't realize how beautiful it can be to start living and walking the journey of forgiveness. You know, in our world today, when you look around, there's scary things going on. You know, uh, there's an increase in heart disease and cancer that's happening all around us. I um, just saw on the news the other night that um, ADD is being diagnosed at higher rates than ever historically, and especially in adults. More adults are being diagnosed with ADD. Depression is up. There's more stress in our world than I think there's been at any time in our history. The pressures around us are huge. And you look at all of this and you ask the question, why? And I am sure that there are many, many reasons why those things are happening in our world today. But I think that forgiveness is part of the solution. I think the reason that a lot of those things are happening is because we hold this unforgiveness within us and it creates physical problems, it creates emotional problems, and it creates a spiritual problem for us. And if we choose to move towards forgiveness, I think one of the benefits is wholeness. The Journal of the Behavioral Medicine actually did some studies on forgiveness asking the question of, is there a connection between forgiveness and physical, mental, and spiritual health? One study actually found that forgiveness and practicing forgiveness as a lifestyle is associated with a lower heart rate 
and lower blood pressure. Forgiveness is good for the heart, even the physical heart. And I would argue that it's good for the spiritual heart too. In a second study that noted a positive relationship between forgiveness and several different measures of health. Those people who practice forgiveness have fewer physical symptoms. They're on fewer medications. They sleep better. And when they are awake, they have less fatigue. Another study showed a reduction in symptoms of depression, a strengthened spirituality for people who forgive. They are able to manage conflict better, and they are able to manage stress better. I think there's a connection between practicing a lifestyle of forgiveness and our ability to be whole and healthy people. I also think that there's a connection between our ability to experience what God has for us. When we forgive, I believe that we have a freedom. We are set free from the bondage of unforgiveness to really truly experience what God has for us. I really became aware of this actually this week as I was preparing for this message, um, observing uh, the newest member of our family. This is Haji. <laughs> Haji has been with us for about a year and a half. Haji is our fishing dog. This year he learned really a lot more about fishing. When we went on our fishing trip, he learned that if the fish was over three pounds, you could bark at it. If it was under three pounds, you just ignored it. And it was just hilarious. But he's a great addition to our family. And this week, uh, really, he gave me an insight into this whole concept of the freedom that we can have. Because Haji, about three weeks ago, had surgery on his eye. And after his surgery was over, the doctor put a cone on his head in order to keep him from scratching at his eye. Doesn't he just look so sad? Poor Haji. I take him for walks in the morning and the neighbors just all laugh at us. <laughs> he looks so silly with that cone on his head. But you know what? He lives his life like that cone isn't there. He has no awareness that he has a cone on his head. So when I come home from work at night and he runs to greet me, he runs right up to my leg and slams that cone right into my leg. Scratches my legs, bruises my legs. He lives his life like that cone doesn't exist. He'll be running down the hallway to greet you, and he'll be rounding the corner to come through the hallway door. And he will not realize that there is more space that's needed to get through the hallway door than just his head. And that cone will catch the corner of the doorway, and it will slam him back into the hallway. It's just hilarious watching him just have zero awareness of this cone on his head. And the most funny story is that Haji is a lazy dog, and he loves, loves, loves to sleep. He sleeps all night. We get up and go for a walk in the morning. We come back from our walk, and he jumps up on the couch and sleeps all day. He loves to sleep, and the couch is his favorite spot. And so this week, I was watching him do something he had done many times over the last three weeks. It doesn't matter how many times he's done it. He never learns his lesson. So he's sitting, I'm sitting in my chair, and he's sitting by the couch, and he's getting ready to climb up on the couch in order to be able to do his daily napping. And he gets all ready, you know, he's in position to take the leap, and he jumps up, and as he's in midair, that cone catches on the couch and slams him back down to the floor. Not to be daunted, this dog gets ready again. 
And he's going for it again. And he jumps up on the couch and the cone catches again on the couch and it slams him back down to the floor. And I'm doing everything I can not to bust out laughing at this dog because he looks so hilarious. And so I'm doing everything I can to hold it. And then the second time as he hits the ground, he turns and he looks at me with those sad puppy dog eyes. They're so cute. He turns and looks at me as if to say, how could you do this to me? How could you keep me from getting up on my couch? You know, I think <laughs> it became really clear to me that our unforgiveness is sometimes a lot like that cone that's around Haji's head. We don't realize how that unforgiveness is affecting our life. We don't have an awareness of how that unforgiveness scratches and scrapes the legs of other people around us. We aren't aware of that. We aren't aware of how that cone keeps us from experience the, experiencing the comfort of the couch. And when we can't get there, when we can't get to experience what, what God has for us, the mission and the calling that he has for our life and how he wants us to live in community, and when we reach out for it and we can't get there, our natural response is to turn to the person next to us and say, how could you do this to me? We are so unaware of the cone that is around our neck, the cone that keeps us from experiencing what God has for us. And when we move into practicing a lifestyle of forgiveness, when we choose forgiveness, we become aware of the cone. It's like looking in the mirror. It's like my situation and my story. You look in the mirror and you see something that brings to light a way that you have been behaving that can be changed. When we become aware of our cone, we can experience the freedom to really get what God has for us. And I think also it's important to note when we move into to forgiveness, not only do we become more whole, not only do we experience freedom, but we also defeat the enemy. Forgiveness is an act of warfare because it thwarts the, uh, the attacks of the enemy on our community. There is nothing more that the enemy would like than to destroy our relationships. If he can keep us in bondage, if he can keep us fighting amongst ourselves, then we can't make a difference in this world. We can't change the world the way that Jesus wants us to. We cannot follow Jesus to the same degree and live like Jesus lived in our world when we're caught up in our own hurts and pains and fighting within ourselves. If we're not living in true community and moving forward in community in our world, Satan has the victory. But forgiveness is a way that we can fight the enemy. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Forgiveness is a way that we can prevent the enemy from having a foothold in our life. And we can prevent him from having a foothold, a stronghold in our relationships. His scheme is to keep us in bondage and we are not unaware of that scheme. So we are going to choose to fight the enemy by choosing to forgive our brothers and sisters from the heart. I was talking with a friend of mine this week as I was preparing for this message. And one of the things that she said to me as we were talking through what I was going to share today, she goes, yeah, but how do I forgive? How do I forgive? And it was the same question a month ago I was asking my friend, how do I forgive? 
you know what? It's not going to be easy. It's not easy. And that's why Peter wanted a formula. At the beginning of our story, when Jesus, when Jesus was talking about the relational qualities that characterize kingdom people, the reason that Peter stepped forward and asked the question he did is because he wanted a formula. And I want one too. I want to know when to do this forgiveness thing. But you know what? It, you can't have a formula. And the point of Jesus' story here is that it's not about a formula. It is about your heart. It is about changing your heart. How do we change our heart? It's a process. It is not an event in time. You can't have a checklist that says, okay, they wronged me and I forgave them. All right, done deal. All right, they wronged me again and I forgave them. It's not about that. It's a lifestyle. It's a heart of forgiveness that we have to choose to allow Jesus to come in and change our heart. And we can do that because we know that he loves us and he has forgiven us a debt greater than we can ever pay. The process is going to look differently for each of us because we're different people. We have different kinds of relationships and the situation in which we were hurt is very different. And you may have to practice forgiveness every time you see that person. If you hurt me, then when I see you again, I may be tempted once again to hold that debt over your head. And when I feel that temptation, I have to make a choice. I will have to choose to keep the promise to you that I made, the promise that says I will not hold it against you, I will not retaliate against you, I will trust God that he will bring justice and I will not ruminate over it in my head. I will have to remind myself of that promise every time I am tempted to take that debt back and want to make you pay for it. That's the process of forgiveness. It happens in every moment of every day. It's not something you do just once in time. But there are some things that can help you there are some things that we can do to allow Jesus to really come in and change our heart because it's about a heart change. We can pray. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more time we gain an understanding of his love for us. We need to get a picture of his love for us. When we were worshiping together and all of those love songs we sang today, when we worship together, we see God differently. Our focus changes when we worship. When we worship, we move from the focus on ourselves, on our situation, and our hurt, and we refocus on God. We refocus on Jesus and his love. Singing those love songs helps us to really experience the love that Jesus has for us. Sometimes it's seeing Jesus in that situation. Take yourself back to that situation and say, Jesus, show me how you would have shown me your love in this situation. What would your love have looked like if you would have been here for me? because Jesus was there and he was showing you his love. And then maybe asking the question, okay, in that situation, how is Jesus showing his love for that other person? Because the same love that Jesus has for you, the same forgiveness that he offers to you, he offers to that person that hurt you as well. And seeing Jesus in the middle of that situation can help you see it through his eyes, the eyes of love and forgiveness. In addition to really being able to see and embrace the love that God has for us, I think a heart change also comes from being willing to take risks and re-engage in the porcupine dance. When we get hurt, it's really easy to want to move into isolation. And it's really easy to step away from that. And when we get in that place of isolation, a lot of times what we do is we generalize the pain that we experienced in that one relationship to all relationships. 
and we say, okay, I'm not going to engage in any relationships, or I'm only going to engage to this degree because any relationship that I get into is going to hurt me like this one did. When we do that, we are in bondage. We have not experienced the healing, and there's only so much healing that can happen when we're in isolation. There's a certain level of healing that has to happen by re-engaging in relationships. Maybe it does involve changing the dance steps. We might do the porcupine dance differently, but we dance the dance. We're willing to experience the dance and engage in the healing and take the risks in relationship because Jesus loves us, and he paid for a debt that we can never, ever ever pay. And the benefit of forgiveness can overflow into every single area of our life if we choose it. So I want to ask the altar team to come forward now. And I'm going to just close us in prayer. And if God is speaking to you today about the cone that maybe is around your neck, and maybe you're looking in the mirror and you're seeing the little child that is hurt and that is in pain, because of what has happened in your life and in your community. I would encourage you to come forward and receive prayer with one of our altar workers. You know, maybe you're struggling with forgiving yourself. Maybe you really haven't embraced the love and forgiveness that Jesus has for you, and he has it for you. Come and pray with someone and really be able to experience and receive the love of Jesus today. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for your love and your forgiveness. Lord, I just can't even thank you enough for the love and the forgiveness that you offer me. Lord, I don't understand it sometimes. I don't understand how you could love me. But you showed me your love when you sent your son. You sent your son for me. And when I see that, when I see that kind of love, Lord Jesus, and I allow myself to be filled with that kind of love and forgiveness, Lord, it gives me what I need. It gives me the heart change that I need to be able to forgive others. So, Lord, I pray that you will help me and help each of us, Lord Jesus, to be willing to engage in the journey of love, the journey of forgiveness. Lord Jesus, help each one of us. Help each one of us to understand your love and to be able to offer that in the relationships within our community. Jesus, as we go forward from this place, I pray that you will help each of us to understand what this means for us because it looks different for each of us and I pray that we will get it. Holy Spirit, use this message not as an ending point but as a starting point for the journey of forgiveness for each of us. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.